happy to be here. Yes. And again, I apologize for the mix-up in communication on Saturday because, again, the effort it does take to inhabit this body and experience existence has bested me yet again. Um, so uh, No worries. No worries. Yeah. Um, let's see. We haven't spoken in three years. Uh, quite a bit has happened for us all, the world around us. Uh, how was Necronomicon? It was wonderful. It was my first convention uh, back uh, after the pandemic. And I very much valued their policies uh, regarding COVID. Uh, there was a mask policy in place for uh, the public places where uh, the convention events were being held with the exception of like an outdoor reception, which is understandable outdoors, you have more ventilation and that sort of thing. But uh, a lot of care was put into it and the programming was just phenomenal. Um, I had a chance to meet uh, scholars from, uh, one from the UK, one from uh, uh, Poland and uh, talk about international weird fiction, which is one of my uh, interests, something I'm very interested in. I love to read weird fiction and translation. And uh, so, and, and it was good also because I had an opportunity to visit uh, family beforehand. Uh, I have family on the East Coast, so dro drove up to see them and then drove up the coast to Rhode Island. Uh, so it was a good trip, a little exhausting as, as road trips are for me. I'm not quite ready to fly yet, um, but uh, a good trip all in all. That's great to hear. Um... However, uh, regarding Mothwoman, I mean, you are a very gifted author in my mind simply because of your ability to write the hook such in such a strong manner that I have learned that to best read your books in one sitting. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> very, very gripping. Um, Mr. Suicide was also a gripping read for me. Uh, Mothwoman didn't even have the monotony of the train ride that I was trying to escape from uh, to provide the motivation for me to continue. It seems that, that you have honed that skill even more with Mothwoman. Um, I am the architect of my own squalor. That has become my own mantra while I'm cleaning my house. One of the first things that I did after I closed the cover was grab a small step stool and a pillowcase and attack my ceiling fan. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's there's going to be a, a maybe a bump in in the sales of uh, cleaning supplies after uh, Moth Woman gets out to the readers, right? Uh, or uh, you know that, or interest in the literary uh, depiction of ceiling fans. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's you know uh, cleaning is something that has always been um not as, not always been a struggle for me, but since I've been writing, it's difficult because it's like okay. I have I have a day job, which most writers have, um, and I have uh, you know my writing responsibilities, and then I want to have some time for rest and relaxation. So when do I get time to clean? And um, 
oftentimes, I mean, it's, I see it as a, as a real, um, oh, it, it, it's a pest to me. It, it's, it's an irritant because it's like, why do I have to like, I mean, now this is like first world problems kind of thing, right? I have a roof over my head, right? Um, I have uh, a safe place to, to sleep at night. Um, you know, I, so this, this is the kind of irritant that really shouldn't be an irritant, but um, you know, sometimes I wish I were just kind of like a disembodied brain <laughs> that could be just floating around just so I could like not have to deal with all the stuff about, you know, like dishes have to be done and, uh, you know, the floors have to be clean. Bathrooms have to be clean. Ceiling plans have to have the dust taken off of them. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, what am I doing that doing this? I, I need to be working on my, uh, you know, my, my, uh, literary endeavors, but, um, so there's there's definite you know cost benefit analysis of where you spend your time at least for me that enters into the equation but a gross house is also not fun to live in and so um and uh and so yeah and and we are people i mean it's you know after i won the brown stoker award for mr suicide it was really wonderful i had you know is out in vegas so it's like all these bright lights and all these people in the horror community congratulating me uh, Jack Ketchum, who was an author I really admired, was was there. This was before he had passed away, obviously, and uh, and he said warm things about me and congratulated me after winning. And you know, Facebook is blowing up, and then and then I go home, and you know, it's like I have to mow the lawn. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like I, I I think I tweeted out that time. It's like I'm I was the Bram Stoker Award winning uh, mower of lawns, uh, and uh, you know, it's like you know, you it's a weird place to be in because you have all these you know kind of down to earth responsibilities that just come from you know, uh, being a homeowner and, um, and having, having a house and having a, a marriage and having a day job. And then you have this other side that's very artistic that wants to be like, you know, uh, just completely unbound and, and reading and writing all day. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a certain tension in that, but it's, it's really, like I said, first world problems. Hi. I've got to agree with, with some of that. Now, again, I, I asked you a question about this uh, privately. The uh, failed attempt at self-harm in a sick gray lab led me to connect the inspiration of that to another tale from Milan Kundera, whom you'd recommended to me so long ago. I do admit at that time, I did go back and pause the interview on a few occasions to note the books displayed on your shelf. Um, I have a few now. I have yet to complete the art of the novel, but the underlying melody that begins to make itself heard, hovering delicately over the translated words, kind of like a good translation of W.G. Siebold and other uh, international authors whose English is not their first language. Um, it does put me to sleep. It, it is a sleep inducing book, but, uh, but it, it has, I, I kind of, kind of get it. And I'm still not quite connecting that dot and that's okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, 
that has made me pay more attention to the specific elements of storytelling. And I'm very grateful to you for that. Well, thank you. You're, you're quite welcome. Um, and fairy tale plot and structure by Terrence Patrick Murphy. Ha, have you, have you read that one at all? I have not read that one. Um, oh. I've read, I've read a number of, of craft books. I, I, really enjoy reading craft books, even from authors, um, from backgrounds that are completely different from what I'm writing. Um, I, I've been, you know, um, reading a lot of craft books that have been written by, you know, people who are like Pulitzer Prize winners and this kind of thing, very mainstream, you know, the kind of uh, ladies who would be talking gently about their books to Terry Gross on NPR. Uh, and, uh, you know, not at all, you know, writing about mad women and cryptids, uh, but there's always a, um, a similarity. I mean, there's some things where I look at it and I sit, just say, I, I don't know about that, but there's always a kernel of something I can take from those books that um, impresses me. Most recently, I uh, read a book called 13 Ways of Looking at the Novel. Uh, and the author's name is, I think, Jane Smiley, which just sounds like, a, you know, like the stereotype of like a cheerleader, Jane Smiley, you know, <laughs> um, but um, but it, it was a really powerful book as far as explaining like the origins of how novels came to be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, all novels have like different elements of, you know, kind of like almost like a, a DNA code in them. And some of them, you know, are more like certain you know, different types of old novels from many years and decades and centuries past. So some novels, for example, have more of an epic to them. Others have more of a, uh, a comedy sensibility to them. Some have more of a romance sensibility to them. Um, you know, some are, uh, you know, are diaries or confessions and kind of looking at the, the genetic code of each novel and saying, you know, all of them has like some indication of, of, of some of these uh, genetic codes, but, but they vary across um, different novels and the balance varies and not all, not every novel has every form represented. But these are, you know, um, basically forms that uh, have existed historically. And uh, that just really wowed me because it's like it helped me understand the novel in a way that I never understood it before. Um, and it's kind of a technical thing, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I, I try to learn. I try to read widely mm -hmm. and I try to learn whatever I can. A lot of my discoveries are made through um, the, uh, you know, just exploring secondhand shops and running into books that look interesting and picking them up and then um you know just going off from there why mothman All oh I, yeah that's a well that's another another instance of um of serendipity um i'm gonna get a sip of my coffee here okay mm. but well, completely serendipitous so uh, the, the way this all originally, okay, so Moth Woman was written, I think, starting in, like, mid-2020 is when I first started it, and, uh, and, you know, up until that point, I really had no interest in the Mothman legend, 
Um, I was not at all interested in it. I had never seen the movie, The Mothman Prophecies. I had never read the book, The Mothman Prophecies. Uh, if I knew Mothman at all, it was kind of as this kitschy roadside attraction kind of thing. Like when uh, I, I live in Southern Indiana and I, uh, I grew up in Maryland. And so whenever I take a road trip back home, I would pass, you know, I would drive along I-64 uh, and I, I would see a sign that would be a sign for Point Pleasant, West Virginia, you know, like an exit to take. But um, I even thought about going down there once, but my husband and I took the exit. And then when we got on there, we realized Point Pleasant wasn't like right at the exit. It was like another 70 miles. Um, and so we, we decided not to go. So I've, I've had some you know, interest in it, but it really wasn't until uh, May of 2020 that I had um, a sig more significant interest. And here's how it evolved. And it, it's an interesting story, I think, because it has to do with the genesis of the novel. Um, so, okay, May, early May 2020, I get a phone call uh, to, uh, to help attend to a family emergency. Uh, in Maryland. And of course, this is the early part of the pandemic. Everything is on lockdown. Uh, interstate travel is kind of generally being discouraged. Um, and, you know, I, I had to kind of make a decision, like, do I go and do this or not? But I decided to go ahead and do it. Uh, and I was afraid because, you know, I, I, I wore my, of course, wore a mask all over, all, you know, all, whenever I was going into a hotel or anything. Uh, I have OCD, so that makes like germ phobia even worse, probably. Um, but, um, you know, so I, I go to Maryland, I attend to the family emergency um, and uh, take care of things. And it, 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 as family emergencies are wont to be, it was particularly grueling. Uh, and I was there for about a week. I was laid off from my day job. Um, so, oh. um, you know, that was another stressor. But I decided, you know what I'm going to do on like, and I didn't think about this until like the night before I left Maryland, I had no hotel booked in advance for, uh, for then. Cause I didn't know exactly when I was going to be leaving, but when the emergency was resolved, I, uh, decided I was going to go back to Indiana and I, I thought, well, you know what, you know, I always stay part way along the route when I'm making this day trip. I don't make it in one, you know, complete like 13 hour drive. I usually break it up into two six and a half hour drives. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to treat myself. I'm just going to get a room in like Point Pleasant, West Virginia and stop by and spend some time in the Mothman, um, uh, you know, tourist sites. And I thought, well, you know, probably the gift shop and the museum that they have in there is going to be closed because of the pandemic, but at least I'll just walk around town and um, and I'll look at them. You have a, a statue of the Mothman and and uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So I'll look at the Mothman statue, take a picture. You know, it'll be kind of fun. I have to be stopped partway along the trip anyway. You know, it'll that that'll be it. So I I get into um, I, I ended up staying across the Ohio River in uh, Gallipolis, Ohio. Uh, and, uh, you know, that went well. And, um, but, you know, the, then the next morning I wake up and, you know, uh, some strange things are happening. Like I had, uh, tick bites all over me because uh, oh. I went into a woods where, uh, oh. in Maryland, I think where I had, um, where there were ticks. And so I had tick bites on there. Uh, oh. my, yeah, my tire was flat. Um, I had a flat oh. tire in, in the, um, 
in the in the parking lot like and uh and so it was like well you know i mean these are things that can be naturally explained i'm not and i'm not saying mothman you know took yeah. a knife to my tire or anything <laughs> but um you know but uh yeah there's um but it, it it was definitely you know kind of set a vibe for like okay this is interesting uh and so i was able to fill up my tire i had a uh you know one of those portable air pumps that was able to get uh, uh, air into the tire and then i went to the mothman museum and it turned out it was open it had just reopened so oh. you know you know by chance i just happened to go to point pleasant by chance i just happened to get there when the mothman museum had reopened uh, I got I got there in the morning, so just by chance, I got there when it was not at all crowded, and I had a chance to really look around. And there were aspects of of the Mothman uh, story that really I I just love the weirdness of it. There's so much weirdness in the Mothman uh, story. There's there's definitely like the kitschy uh, roadside attraction part of it, but there's also this uh, David Lynch kind of aspect to it that I I love. You know that where like. It, there's that level of weirdness to it. And, uh, and I wasn't really planning to buy anything at the bookstore, but then um, I, you know, because I was of course laid off, but I decided to um, buy the book, the Mothman prophecies by John A. Keel, you know, because there was this really cool Frank Frazetta cover uh, on the edition that they had and and I'm I kind of dug you know like uh, you know rarer books and mm-hmm. and so it's like okay well this is like a small press edition with the Frank Frazetta cover that's something I've not seen before so I'm going to go ahead and pick that up and uh, I really wasn't even planning on reading it but when I got home I was thinking like it'll just be like a little interesting collectible and I but when I got yeah. home I started to read it and uh things you know it it was just very very strange it did not disappoint uh and that then i just kind of started going down the rabbit hole of uh mothman and paranormal phenomena and uh, that sort of thing so really for about like a year or two i was very much absorbed into that and and that took me into other things like the hellier um uh, series on Amazon uh, and and uh, you know other kinds of paranormal media, and uh, and I, I knew then when I returned from that trip that that's what I wanted to write about, um, and because uh, I was kind of kicking around some other ideas, and uh, none of them were really finding traction, but that uh, Mothman idea did kind of dramatizing in some ways the uh, the road trip I actually took with a. Uh, kind of distorted cartoonish version of that road trip uh, and uh, using, you know, life as an inspiration for art. And beautifully done. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, man. Um, It's interesting to see that there was an actual real life inspiration for the, some of the events that occurred to your protagonist as the trip was made. Um, I appreciated uh, the repeating of the sentiment that, I mean, not that, that kind of we all felt. That there, there was a universal 
um, what what are we going to do now? You know, during during lockdown, and uh, and I was thinking about this when you were talking about the wide source and the wide reading that you do for uh, craft of uh, being able to find those, being able to dig deep and, and reach those threads that connect us all. And uh, again, I, I, was, I was struck with the amount of uh, intimacy of emotion that you were able to capture in the beginning chapters of her struggles. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I found myself shaking my head. Yeah, like, like I kind of agree with that, you know, and just, just a little bit, you know, but, but still, I mean, again, like with the, with the dust accumulating on the ceiling fan and, and other metaphors that I should not speak of because I don't want to uh, dampen the novelty for someone that is picking up the book for the first time. Well, thank yeah, thank you. I, I don't know any other way to write than to um, write from a, a pretty deep place of emotion. Um, and, and so what that means is that some readers will definitely identify with it and be carried along with it. And other readers who may not identify with the strong emotion might find it intriguing but not necessarily get carried along with it as as, as much um and that's just kind of you know at some point you decide what kind of writer you're going to be and that's the kind of writer i think i have really no choice but to be is uh to be in some ways confessional but uh but my it's, what i've noticed is that there's a lot of grotesquerie and also kind of like cartoonishness and nightmarishness about it all so it's like there's not a one-to-one -one correlation between my protagonist and and me or that protagonist's dad and my dad yeah. uh, or her mom and my mom but you know it's kind of like run me and my family and and my views of the world through a nightmare or a cartoon or a cartoonish nightmare and that's kind of what you get and, and part of that is I guess I, I have that sensibility about me it's, it's um, you know the way that the world has changed in particular over the last oh I guess six years um, that everything just seems like very distorted and chaotic and grotesque and uh, and so I, I think that I can't help but to apply that uh, point of view to what's going on and then both outside of myself and inside of myself um you know there i'm also aging and so that's also a, a process of getting use of grotesque to grotesquery it's like i have arthritis which means like i have this finger that like wants to veer off into a different direction it's like it's kind of crooked and uh you know i have a toe that's kind of going crooked and you know bunions and you know and you know just like moving and hearing your bones crinkle and crackle uh and and this kind of thing and i'm not saying i'm, I'm not like 85 or something but yeah. you know um i'll be 50 next year and so that's another um reason to 
uh, be reminded of one's own grotesqueness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the fact right. that aging does this. And, and, you know, they say that people become caricatures of themselves facially, even when they age, because it's like, you you know, you the, the, the skin loses its elasticity. So, you know, like these lines form and all that kind of thing. And, and so it's very strange. Uh, to age when you think about it. Um, but I'm glad I'm aging. I mean, it's better than the alternative. Absolutely. I was I was just talking with a cashier at the grocery store. <laughs> don't don't get old. Don't don't get old. And then I'm like, wait, no, get old, get old. Accept the failures of your physical form as they come. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, uh, I, I am that's one of the reasons why I have no problem with stating my age. I mean, I'm kind of proud of my age. I've, I've kind of mentally prepared myself for being 50 uh, already, even though I'm, I'm 49 right now, and I'm going to be 49 for as long as I can be 49. But when the time comes, and I turn 50, I'm just going to accept it. Like I tell myself, I'm not going to dye my hair. I tell myself, I'm just going to let myself go gray, I have a little bit of gray. Uh, not a whole lot, but um, yeah, it's kind of like uh, part. It's like accepting who you are as a writer. You know, it's like I, I am who I am, and um, you know, there comes a point. You know, there there's a time for aspiration and kind of like saying, oh, I, you know, this is what I want and everything. And then there's also a point when you when you've written enough that you realize, you know, this is I am who I am, and I'm happy with who I am. Uh, and I'm not really aspiring to be anything different than what I am. I'm just more accepting it and uh, accepting the career that I've built and continuing on with it and continuing to build the career and continuing to do more. Uh, But, you know, not, I I guess, not trying to be Stephen King, you know, not trying to be even like, um, you know, some other successful writers, not trying to be Ramsey Campbell or, or even Caitlin Kiernan or um, or Paul Tremblay or Gemma Files or any of anyone else just trying to be myself yes. and uh, and and uh, trying to be the best version of myself and continuing to grow and develop. That's an exciting thing about about being a novelist over the long haul is, you know, just seeing like you said, like seeing how you grow from book to book and uh, seeing how you're able to do things more effectively um and uh it's still your voice but your voice changes because it has to i mean yes uh, you're exposed you know, and gather different things into yourself over the last exactly yeah 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 it's like i like like the mothman thing and i mean i i wouldn't have written about the mothman if it hadn't been about you know that journey i had you know um on that road trip and um and then uh and then you, know, you can write about aging you know which is something i wouldn't be able to do before um write about being middle-aged um and i think especially about seeing a world that i knew that was i think a little bit more calm uh maybe not always as just as it could have been um definitely not as just as it could have been um you know had definite issues with prejudice and um and with you know the just intolerance uh but but it also had, um, you know, there. It also had less, um, oh, just less anger about it, um, and less, you know, there, there, there wasn't, you know, we didn't. When I grew up, we didn't have school shootings, you know, for example, um, you know, and when I was growing up, we, you know, I live in the Midwest. I mean, I, 
I grew up in a rural area in Maryland and I never saw people open carrying their guns all over the place. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and the, the, like, I think there's this idea out there that that's like some kind of traditional thing. And it's like, I'm here to tell you as someone on the cusp of 50, no, it's not. I never saw mm-hmm. that until, you know, probably about 20 years ago. Um, 90s. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think early two thousands is really when I first noticed it. Um, and you know, after moving out here, it, it became more pronounced, and I, I knew people who owned lots of guns, and um, and in some cases, it's merited if you're out in the country, and and you know, you if it's going to be like half an hour until the police get there, um, or forty five minutes or whatever, then you know, I think it makes sense maybe to be a gun owner, but it's just the sheer amount of guns, and and the the uh the assault rifles and all this kind of thing uh that really have one purpose you know uh and it's not a legitimate purpose um and so um yeah i mean that's something that i don't recall seeing in my childhood and so now we have you know all these people with you know carrying guns around you have um you know, you have just a lot, which, and we had, you know, we have elementary school students in the U.S. who are being slaughtered. And and that's something I, you know, I didn't have to worry about that. Now, when I was a kid, we worried about a nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. <laughs> and, and, um, and we, you know, would do our civil defense drills to hide under the desk in case the bomb, you know, landed on us, which of course would have done nothing. And we had the yeah. fear of uh we had the fear of nuclear extermination and this sort of thing which you know definitely uh affected me as a young child i had nightmares about that kind of thing um but we didn't have kids being killed uh you know in schools um and we didn't have the weirdness of the uh of all these different factions uh who, you know, like we didn't have like paramilitary organizations like the Proud Boys. I mean, when yeah. I was growing up, you know, they're, the, the, the Klan was a thing. And, um, but for most of my youth, the Klan was pretty well like beaten and intimidated and cowed and mostly was, um, you know, kind of low key, you know, because they knew that they weren't popular and they weren't going to find, um, any kind of uh, support among people and now you have like flat out nazis you know um and uh, yeah yeah i i was uh, i was adopted and raised by my world war ii veteran grandfather uh so of course very militant response from me to that outlook uh, yeah yeah that, that's yeah. just and the so, way that and, and connect it back to the to the novel too i mean it's mm-hmm. that kind of i think shows up in the novel about how the world has changed and um just um the kinds of uh regressive uh forces that are out there and the and also just the oddity of our times i mean you know it's not unusual to see someone walking around with a surgical mask on I wear a mask, you know, at my workplace. I wear it whenever I go out, out inside in the public. I'm, I, I'm a big supporter of masks, but still it's unusual to see it. It's like, you know, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm, I'm very pro-science, uh, but it, it's, it's, you know, I just kind of, you know, know like walking around in hotels and everything. And if you had sh- just shown this 
image to somebody 10 years ago what they would think <laughs> you know it's like this is something like if i wore a mask into a hotel uh 10 years ago people would be wondering like what is wrong with her and uh now it's because the circumstances have changed so dreadfully um it's required and necessary and, and it's a good thing to be safe and help each other and i'm 100 percent supportive of it but it, it's just visually very odd and um and so yeah um i think there are aspects of um, the world that are very dystopian right now and have been for a while. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, we had a war in the Middle East for like 20 years. That's not normal. Um, you know, uh, we have, um, you know, we you know, all, all kinds of aspects of life right now aren't, aren't, um, aren't resonant with the culture that I grew up in that, uh, for all its failings, had a, uh, I think, uh, with trying to, at least many people in it were trying to move things forward uh, and were also um, keeping things stable and, uh, and, and, you know, hooked into the best aspects of, uh, of, of civilization, for lack of a better word. And I think, you know, Obama was, uh, a very civilized man and Trump is a very barbaric man. Um, and, uh, and so that is, I think, part of the conflict that we have here. Are we going to have a civilization or are we going to have barbarism? And uh, barbarism sometimes has a cell phone you know, and has yes. social media, oh. but it's, it's this uh, kind of very fascistic, uh, uh, you know, force, that is, um, you know, kind of dumb and proud of being dumb, and um, and very much interested in in might make makes right, you know, and uh, the end justifies the means, and even the end is atrocious, of course, and abominable. But uh, you know, there's you know the whole idea of um, you know um, when people like the people on the right think it's like sexy or cute to say fuck your feelings and you know it, like when did that become you know respected or even you know kind of like not seen as immature and awful and gross um yeah it's um and so it's interesting because i'm a writer who's been known for being uh transgressive but i and and I, I am and um, but at the same time I I I kind of um, I don't necessarily like the idea of losing our civilization. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want the barbarians. You know, uh, particularly the orange-skinned ones uh, <laughs> to you know to. Um, to have their way with this and and you know we have this this odd cult you know on the right related to one guy and um you know and um I, and very you know some aspects of the extreme left that i also um don't necessarily feel as comfortable with although i think they're nowhere near as dangerous just because um because the the right right now is you know um putting uh migrant children in 
you know, uh, I, in, in, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I find that, that cult of personality quite frightening. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so what can we do about it? Well, if I'm a novelist, I can, I can depict uh, what this feels like right now, what this abnormality feels like, what this, um, what this grotesquerie, uh, you know, the, the, I don't know what the right um, uh, verb would be, like the grotesquerization, <laughs> or, you know, the uh, grotesquenizing of, of American culture, um, but it's gotten weirder and stranger and more warped and um, less friendly, uh, more, uh, you know, targeted towards uh, just, um, again, F your feelings, you know, uh, and-, and uh, The personification people- of internet trolling into reality. Yes, yes, exactly. And and as a result, you know, kids who are seven years old, who, you know, the biggest problem they should have in their life is whether or not they get a Twinkie after coming home from school. Yes. And now they have to worry about someone coming in for, you know, coming in, not that there ever would be a reason, but for like a completely random reason or, or a racist reason or just, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, in some of these cases, it's even just like, you know there's no reason whatsoever it, it's just like i just want to make my name a name for myself i guess for, with some of these shooters i'm not really sure what if they've determined the motives for some of them but um but yeah i mean it's just weird and yes. and ugly and we, and we get really accustomed to it but again you know looking at it from the vantage point of of you know my childhood that would have been unfathomable thank you so much nicole for taking the time to speak with me regarding Moth Woman and uh, the creation and source of this book. I greatly appreciate it. I've had a blast, even, I mean, talking about really depressing stuff, but nonetheless, <laughs> I mean, was, uh, a good time was had. So uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.